0: Transforming musical linguistic objects Greetings from cyberdelic space I'm Lorenzo and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon Today's program is a talk Dr. Charles Grove recently gave at the monthly gathering in the L.A. area that we kind of affectionately call Kathleen's Salon. I'm sure many of you have either heard or even been to uh, one of Kathleen's famous gatherings over the past seven years now. I think it was uh, sometime over seven years ago, actually, maybe close to eight years now, that she uh, first offered to host a potluck dinner to, uh, I guess, as a sort of a fundraiser or a gathering uh, for the Albert Hoffman Foundation. And after the Hoffman Foundation transitioned uh, most of its activities to the internet, Kathleen just kept on having the Friday night potlucks and uh, today it's actually, I think grown into one of the best salons on the West Coast, if not in the whole country. You know, over the course of the years, I've uh, been to some of Kathleen's salons where you know the Gnostic Bishop of LA has been there, department heads from universities, uh, celebrities, Filmmakers, producers, scientists, uh, DNA researchers, and people like Dr. Grobe. Uh, and, and these aren't just the speakers, these are the people that come to kick around ideas uh, once a month. It's just a really uh, wonderful open evening. And, uh, you know, sort of an intellectual free for all, sort of reminiscent of what I've read about Chicago's famous Dill Pickle Club, and, uh, you know, and that evolved into the College of Complexes. And I think, in a way, I guess that sums up. Kathleen's salon, you know, it's a it's a really highly complex mixture of people ranging from serious artists to transient musicians to whoever. You know, everyone has an equal status there at Kathleen's, which really makes for some very long evenings, but quite exciting uh, discussions, uh, just like the one you're about to hear. I recorded this one uh, at Kathleen's salon in July of 2005, just a few weeks ago, and as you will uh, hear, uh, the legendary elder. Myron Stoleroff was in the crowd that night so we'll hear a few words from Myron even in all this discussion I understand lasted until well after 2 in the morning I was uh, gone by then and uh, of course you'll also be happy to hear that I've edited uh, considerably the uh, amount of uh, discussion that was taped when I was there but the core of the discussion that night uh, is here and uh, that's the update that Dr. Grobe gave on his uh, psilocybin research study with uh, uh, advanced stage cancer patients and at the end of this program uh, i'm going to give you more information about dr grove but for now just kind of sit back and relax and see if you can picture yourself sitting on the floor next to a, a friend of mine who is holding my old tape recorder and see if you can capture some of the magic of being in kathleen's salon on this cool summer evening on the edge of the west
1: Anyway, I'm thrilled to have such a great crowd here tonight. We have such an amazing program, which you all know. And this just shows, I mean, how much interest and support, you know, there is in, um, I mean, this is the cream of the crop, tonight's program. This is what it's all about. This is, we're going to hear something before the rest of the country does.
2: But if there is such a thing as a real psychedelic salon on this planet, it's Kathleen's.
1: I mean, and, and there
2: there are there's more than one writer and film person writing Kathleen's salons into their work right now. So this is this is going to be a, a very uh you know this be careful is careful of who you sleep. With. That's right. This is... <laughs> But, you know, we've been coming for a number of years, and, and it just blows me away every time. And, and for your dad and brother, I want you to know, this is not really that exceptional a night. I mean, every night here is an exceptional night. So tonight, uh, of course, we have Myron uh, Stoleroff here, and, and uh, when, when Myron uh, and I were talking, he said he's coming, I said, oh, boy, everybody's going to be excited to see you. And he said, oh, I don't think anybody even knows who I am. And so... It's so. <laughs> a I, he, Myron has a new book that I'm going. Well, it's it's a, an updated book that is a really Myron. important book, and I'm, he's going to talk about. It, but I thought I want to make sure everybody knows right. who Myron is. And for for those the one or two of you that might not know, you know, Myron was was an engineer that helped develop the uh, the video tape that we all know and love so well at Ampex. And then uh, I won't go through the whole story because uh, there's not a, a month to, to do it. But Myron is one of the real psychedelic pioneers. In the whole world, and a friend of ours stayed with us recently and left this book. He says you can have this, and I've been hearing about it called What the Dormouse Said. That's right. it just came out. Yes, and so I'm going to only read like five sentences out of here to kind of put Myron in perspective and to really embarrass him. <laughs> but you know, I started out, in, and in the first uh, you know 20 pages, they're already talking about Myron, and I get to this sentence: it says it was he's talking about a phone call Myron got, and it said it was a phone call that would completely change Stoliarov's life and ultimately have a remarkable impact on America, playing a role in the creation of the 60s counterculture. Now, that's a phone call. Now, the end of this first chapter says, "...as the 60s began, the three separate threads of each man, each man profiled in this chapter represented, came together." Doug Engelbart had a clear vision of using computing to help mankind by augmenting human intelligence. Myron Stoleroff was wandering around Johnny Appleseed style with a new drug, he believed, would enhance engineering creativity as well as human spirituality. And Fred Moore had set out on a pacifist crusade to end war by putting his body on the line. Engelbert was the pro- Engelbart was a prophet, largely unsung until much later, and both Stoleroff and Moore became true believers who each in his own way touched off momentous events that still reverberate. Moore shared Engelbart's belief that computing could change the world, and Stoleroff shared the notion that it was possible to expand the power of the human mind. And that, you know, he's been doing this for 49 years, so I would ask you all to really give Myron a warm welcome. Myron.
3: Now they know who you are, Myron. Well, thank you, thank you. I tell you, we're really fortunate to have Charlie Grove with us tonight, and it's, it's going to be a great presentation. We're all eager to hear it, so I'll be very, very brief. And uh, I just want to announce that uh, my book, The Secret Teeth, has been republished. It's been renamed. It's now called The Secret Chief Revealed. And uh, yes, this, this is this is Leo Zep. He's the one that did all of this wonderful work. Some three, four thousand people he put through uh, LSD and other compounds. Well, I'll just very briefly say that uh, the major part of the book is the same, but there's been a fresh introduction and a little fresh information there. There more. There are more interviews with people who, uh, went through the procedure with Leo. And, uh, there's a response from Leo's son and daughter. And, uh, there's an update of some of the better books that are available. So that's all in here. $12.95. <laughs> After this is all over, I'll be here waiting in case anybody wants to. And, and you'll autograph, you'll autograph them, I'm sure. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you me Charlie. That, uh, speaking of, of new books, our, our main speaker tonight, Dr. Charles Grove, Charlie, where, where is Charlie? There he is, buried in the crowd. Char- Charlie's got a new book coming out, too, that maybe before you get started you could tell about that, too, but... Uh, uh, Charlie is here to to give uh, one of the very first public updates of his psilocybin study that's been going on for a little while, and I'm going to just turn it over to Charlie. And...
4: So uh, it's really great being here again. I think it's the second time I spoke here, and good to see a lot of people I've met before, and nice to meet some, some new faces, and uh, it's always a really great coming here because people really share an interest and a passion in, uh, in, in many... Uh, Ideas and uh, so, anyways, what I was asked to talk about tonight is a study we've got going. Um, we have approval at Harbor UCLA Medical Center down in Torrance to uh, treat uh, people with advanced stage cancer who have a lot of anxiety. We have permission to treat them with psilocybin,
3: and the, uh,
4: the the genesis for doing a study like this really comes from the 60s when such pioneers as uh, Stan Grof and Eric Cass and uh, Bill Richards and Walter Pankey had uh, extraordinary studies where they were working with uh, individuals with metastatic cancer who had a lot of anxiety, had a lot of mood dysregulation, were quite overwhelmed, treated them with with psychedelics, and had extraordinary responses. I remember when I was uh, in my early 20s and I... Uh, was not as yet, uh, not, had not as yet uh, decided to go to medical school, I went and heard Groff speak about his work, and it was very inspiring. I was just blown away, and it really, really gave me a vision as to what I wanted to do, and here it is, uh, 33 years later, I'm finally doing it, so uh, having a, a stubborn personality can sometimes pay off. <laughs> so anyways, uh, I'm just going to speak for a few minutes, because tonight we have a Someone else really special who i 'd like to to share the the, the the podium here to speak with you all and that 's uh, Pam, who was uh, the last subject that we treated and uh, i 'd like Pam to share with you some of her experiences and her thoughts about the study but you know the bottom line is these are extraordinary tools to uh, to, to heal. And they were at one point the cutting edge in psychiatric research many, many, many years ago when the culture became very turbulent and had some challenges as to integrating these compounds into society. They be, they, they fell out of favor. They became taboo. And they, they literally weren't touched by uh, researchers. Uh, Special researchers for a good 20-25 years. Uh, we're slowly getting things up and running again we've got our uh, psilocybin study. Uh, there's a psilocybin study at Arizona treating uh, uh, refractory obsessive compulsive disorder patients. There's an MDMA study at the University of South Carolina Charleston using MDMA to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. So we're hoping in, in the near future that other, other people will be coming forward with good protocols, willing to submit them to the regulatory agencies and Go through that whole process. I mean, it, it takes years. It's a long, arduous, uh, task. But the really beautiful thing about plugging away and doing this work is that one doesn't do it all alone. There's a whole community. And, um, you know, it may take a, may take a community or it may take a village to raise a child. It also takes a village to get a psychedelic study, uh, <laughs> up, up and running. So having, having the support has really been, been, a, been a, a really been critical to things moving forward. Um, th- this particular study is uh, it, it has been developed and funded with the Hefter Research Institute and that's uh, a group really dedicated with uh, myself Dave Nichols, George Greer, Dennis McKenna are really dedicated to getting uh, you know state-of-the-art methodologies, Employed to look at the potentialities of psychedelics, uh, particularly in the realm of of treatment and healing. Um, We've also got some studies going over in Switzerland also where they're doing uh, really quite extraordinary work using some of the most advanced brain scanners, PET scanners, to look at the acute effects uh, of the brain under the influence. My personal interests are more in the realm of how can we use these compounds to facilitate healing? Uh, I mentioned one other uh, area that I've worked in, which is uh, ayahuasca. Dennis uh, McKenna and I w- were down in Brazil in the early mid-90s. We conducted uh, fairly uh, comprehensive evaluations of members of a Brazilian ayahuasca church, the União de Vegetal, published our work, and, and later we, we testified on behalf of the União Vegetal in their case in federal court in this country. The UDV has been working to establish a, uh, you know, a viable, legitimate, uh, branch up here in the United States. And in 2001, the case was heard in federal court in New Mexico. And, uh, to my amazement, because it was a very conservative, uh, judge, the case won. Uh, the Justice Department then, uh, The Justice Department then appealed uh, predictably. It went to the uh, Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, was heard by a panel, again, to my surprise, this conservative court voted in favor of the Ayahuasca Church, in favor of, of supporting their freedom of religion rights. Um, Uh, appealed again, predictably, went to the full appeals court, and again it it, it was won by an 8-to-5 margin, so inevitably it got to the Supreme Court and a couple months ago the Supremes uh, agreed to hear the case, so Ayahuasca will be heard at the Supreme Court uh, this coming October. uh, From when we were doing the study in the early 90s, when virtually no one even had heard of it, it's now fairly uh, mainstream in the press, the New York Times had an article so stay tuned. It's been a very interesting process. And uh, and again, the the, the potential that a compound like ayahuasca has to heal, I think, is just remarkable. Uh, And and we're also, at Hefter, we're we're talking about developing some new protocols uh, using ayahuasca to treat alcoholism and uh, drug addiction. Uh, We think there's tremendous potential. And keep in mind that these are areas for which modern medicine has really advanced minimally in the last 50 years. In fact, I challenge you to find any other area in all of medicine which has advanced as minimally as uh, the treatment of alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh, Treatment of choice back then, refer to a 12-step program. If it's a good fit, maybe it'll work. If not, you're out of luck. That's basically the same uh, thing today. Uh, As an aside, some of you might be aware that uh, the, uh, the founder of AA, Bill Wilson, I uh, heard about Sidney Cohen's LSD research in the late 50s at UCLA, volunteered to be a research subject, had a couple of sessions, was just blown away by the, the experience. Wilson went to the Board of Trustees of AA and said, we've got to incorporate this into our model. I had, a very, I had a very similar experience to what I had when I went through DTs, which is very dangerous. And he said this is a much safer way to give people spiritual, mystical epiphanies. I mean, AA had heard something about a uh, a young assistant professor of psychology at Harvard making waves, and said, well, let's see how this plays out. They're still waiting. So, uh. so anyways, I think there's just so much potential these compounds have. They've been neglected for decades now, but I think we're finally at that point. We're, we're going to be able, in an above-board sanctioned... Uh, uh, setting using state of the art methodologies, be able to move forward with this work because I think there's a tremendous uh, dividend to be paid in terms of its capacity to help people, you know, f- who are suffering, uh, you, you know, unnecessarily so because the, these medicines with a capital M are out there for them. Um, I mean, what else? I mentioned I have a book, Lorenzo mentioned my book, it's called um, It's called. It's co-edited with Roger Walsh, who's a psychiatrist at UC Irvine. Uh, It's it's basically a compilation of uh, 13 interviews with 13 of the most illustrious of our elders in this field, starting with Myron, (laughs) and it's called Higher Wisdom: Eminent Elders Explore. The continuing impact of psychedelics, and this will be uh, published in early August by uh, SUNY Press. So that'll be coming out pretty soon. So look for it at your local bookstore. My other book, Hallucinogens, uh, a Reader, published a couple years ago. It's still very worth getting if you don't have amazon.com it's so um, yeah. is ayahuasca how is ayahuasca related either uh, botanically or
3: biochemically
4: to ibogaine oh very different Uh, Um, ibogaine is the alkaloid from the iboka plant from west africa from gabon it's a very very potent knock your socks off uh, experience Uh, they're using it to treat addiction it's um, I've got some questions about its safety profile. There have been some deaths reported. Ayahuasca is a, it's basically a concoction of two different plants uh, indigenous to the Amazon. Uh, the remarkable thing about ayahuasca is, as I've found, how, how well tolerated it is physiologically by individuals. Unless you're on a medication, particular medications like SSRI <coughs> antidepressants, which can in, cause adverse interactions, it's got uh, very impressive safety, and the judge in the case, and the Circuit Court of Appeals in the case were very impressed. I think with the data we presented, because we, we opened up the books and all of our data from our studies, the UDV has a medical section, and they they, they monitor their 10,000 members very carefully for medical or psychiatric problems they are very forthcoming, very open, very honest. I think the safety profile in Ayahuasca really can't be beat if, if it's taken properly. And, uh, and again, we Remarkable potential, Mike. Charles, what happened to your MDMA work? Why did it not go ahead? Oh, well, I had a study. We had the first in, in '93. We were approved to do a study with uh, MDMA and normal volunteers. And we completed that work. It's been published. We did uh, a variety of physiological, and psychological measures of normal volunteers who came in to our research unit on three occasions. Got two different dosages on a placebo. Every everybody tolerated it well, except one guy who um, who says to me, you know, I'm picking up on all the vibes in this hospital. I work at a big public sector hospital, you know. I'm picking up on all the vibes in this hospital. This is not a cool place to take ecstasy, man. <laughs> so,
3: so I said, well, you know, I'm
4: sorry. What can I do? But. No, you 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 have to. See, yeah, look. You, if you want to drop out of the study after today, you can do it. Although you have to spend the rest of the day and the night in the in, in the hospital because that's you agreed to do that. But you could drop out in the morning. You don't have to come in for the two other sessions because this was his first session. So he he he, he stays at the hospital, but then dropped out. So then we could open the line to see what kind of dose we had given him to induce a fairly significant anxiety reaction to our. Surprise! He had been given a placebo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: never, never, never
4: underestimate the power of the placebo. <laughs> um,
1: relating to the psilocybin, and that I'm interested in how it's metabolized. Because my understanding is it's similar to serotonin. How, well, how yeah.
4: similar is that? Well, it's, it's, you know, serotonin is uh, five hydroxy, hydroxytryptamine. Uh, uh, psilocybin is four phosphoroxy uh di, you know, methyl tryptamine, it's very similar. Um it's you know it's metabolized in, in, in the liver. I think the interesting thing about that question is that our central nervous system is primed to have powerful experiences when we ingest these plants. So yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, and who's to say that when we're in a trance state that we're not having uh, all sorts of biochemical changes going on? Uh, or what kind of biochemical changes are going on when we're dreaming? My, my colleague from uh, worked with me in Brazil, Jace Calloway, he's a pharmacologist in uh, actually in Finland. I've written a number of articles with him. He has his theory that uh, while we're asleep, our brain secretes, beta-carbolines, which is the chemical prop- class of one of the plants in ayahuasca, the harmala alkaloids, and these the beta-carbolines uh, basically allow the dimethyltryptamine, which is in the other plant, to be activated. So that's what happens in ayahuasca, and Jace is suspecting that endogenous beta-carbolines Uh, which we secrete are allowing for activation of of endogenous dimethyltryptamine, which, which we, which we secrete as well. So there's a whole biochemical mechanism going on without, uh, you know, a drug necessarily being taken. Just maybe think though in terms, these are kind of advanced EEG studies, and some guys from San Francisco, actually at CIIS, uh, uh, Frank Eschenhofer is a faculty member, and David Stuck, is a graduate student, did EEGs of uh, people in Brazil taking ayahuasca, and they found, they, they're identifying this phenomenon of gamma coherence, which, um, they say also occurs in, uh, in accomplished meditators. So they're finding similar patterns with meditation. As they are with with ayahuasca, so um, we could talk later. Right, Sorry, I just I thought that was good. What's it called? Gamma, Gamma coherence. Yeah. Gamma. We actually, we've got an article. We actually just this week uh, I I co-edited an issue of the Journal Psychoactive Drugs devoted entirely to ayahuasca, and we have one of those articles in in this that collection. So it's it just was published this week. So, anyways, I I think I've talked a bit. I wanna introduce Pam. But let, let me mention that with our study that we're doing at, at,
5: at <laughs> what?
4: <laughs> at Harbor UCLA, we've, um, well, we, we've, today, uh, Mary C., who's my research nurse, she and I admitted uh, to the research unit a, uh, a woman who's got advanced cancer who's going to be our fourth subject. So we're moving along. It's moving slowly. So we are we have some it's been a challenge to recruit subjects. We've had a lot of inquiries, but we have fairly tight inclusion/exclusion criteria. All of our criteria is listed on the uh, on the web at uh, www.canceranxietystudy.org. Uh, or you know, I'm at Harvard UCLA. I'm I'm available. I'm listed. You know, and um, so we're you know putting out a call. If you know of anyone who might be. An appropriate subject for a study, or you know, someone who works in, in, in you know, in oncology or um, cancer support groups. Uh, you know, spread the word. We're just trying to get the word out. There's been some reluctance among certain elements of the professional community to um, even allow us to speak. We're willing to talk there, but again, slowly but surely the word is getting out. People are hearing about the study. Uh so again, we're 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 trying to you know just disseminate information. So let me and I could we can take more questions a little later, but I want to introduce uh Pamela, who Pam Pam was a uh, subject about uh, six months ago in our study, and did she did so phenomenally well. Words that I could express wouldn't do justice, so we decided, we would ask Pam to speak.
3: So go ahead.
5: Well, you know, I didn't design this study or anything, but... um, We've been, uh, my husband Norbert and I have been members of the DPA for many, many years. And, and Norbert found this announcement of the study and he said, hey, come here, check this out. You know, I, th- I think you qualify. And, um, and so we contacted Charlie. But the whole, the, the gist of it was that, um, I found myself one day diagnosed with, with stage four colorectal cancer. And we had a lovely life planned and I have a wonderful, loving partner and we were looking forward to, growing old, maybe not too gracefully, but (laughs) together, and and having a good time of it, and all of a sudden you find out, you've got 16 to 18 months left, oh shit, well, your life changes very dramatically, and and everything you've planned and dreamed of and laid out for yourself is kind of gone, and, uh, and so you're left wondering, well, now what, what happens? And it's a very, very scary, very scary experience, because... There's all kinds of ways that, that metastatic cancer can go and, and none of them are very pleasant. So you're sitting there and you start really obsessing about what's gonna to happen to me and how am I gonna feel and how is it gonna affect my family and and how awful is it gonna be and, and there's always this thing of how 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 much pain are you gonna suffer, how awful is it gonna be and, and when's it gonna happen? I mean, when's what how long can I just be myself and live my life? And and when's when's this horrible thing gonna happen and what's it gonna be like? You can really get very anxious where you can't sleep, and and you don't know what to do with your life, and and you don't want to make any plans, because, well, you know, you might have to bail. Um, So you get very, very tied up in yourself, and and you get very fearful. So I joined the study, and... and, uh, it certainly was run by a very, very wonderful, supportive team. I felt like it was going to be a very, very positive experience because we had a couple of interviews and, and it seemed uh, like it was going to be a very, very good thing. And uh, I was fortunate enough to to receive the uh, psilocybin the first time. So that you know, you kind of you kind of know the difference <laughs> after that 45 <laughs> <three>, minutes. <laughs> yeah. well, it wasn't it wasn't 250 milligrams of niacin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Become the parent, but I, I really did go into this with the pers- with the real intention of, of working on some of these fears and trying to find a path for myself that was more comfortable and would be better. And so I, I really set out to work on it and and um, and started to think about some of these things. and And I think the one thing that's really important, and and everybody here probably knows that, is that the drug doesn't. Do anything to you. It doesn't. It, it doesn't give you anything. It doesn't create anything. All it does is these substances open. They change your perception and open the doors to let your own mind find its own way and and work with yourself. So whatever you get from that experience, you already had it somewhere in you. You just couldn't find it because all of this other junk is in the way. And so uh, as I work through it, I, I realized well. I have X amount of time, who knows? Because this is a very squirrely disease and nobody really knows how long you have. And uh, and an honest oncologist will tell you that. They really don't know. And so I thought, well, I'm ruining it. I'm ruining it for myself and and for my partner and and my family and my friends because I'm spending so much time worrying and being afraid of what's going to happen that I'm not enjoying it now. I don't have to worry about all this stuff today. Someday it'll happen. And I can worry about it then. So it allowed me to open those doors and find that place in me where I could resolve that and, and realize. And, and another thing I, I just totally obsessed with was well, I, I can't leave my, I can't leave Norbert by himself. I mean, we're, we're bonded, we're a pair, what's going to happen? And I thought, well, you know, I can't worry about that today. Uh-huh. We're together today and having a good time. So, we'd have a lot better time if I could stop obsessing about this and, and kind of relax. And, and so, I, I guess they tell me I started crying a lot, and and, uh, and then after a while it got a little, little easier and I just worked through it. And, um, can I tell them what you did? Plenty. Yeah. Whatever. Well, anyway, <laughs> it was, was really <laughs> curious because Norbert said, well, I, once you find out if it's, you know, the placebo or the real thing, Call me. I want to know. And, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so,
5: and so Mary C called him and, 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 and told him, "That's oh, a real thing." She's, having, you know, she's really going for it. <laughs> well, at that time, it was since Or was home by himself waiting for me. He was he was out working out and and, uh, and from what he tells us when he came to pick me up and later in the thing, he suddenly got this incredible sort of energy and just went to a place physically where it had never been before and just was, I guess there was just a lot of very positive energy going around.
1: Very much, very much. and You know,
5: it's separated by, you know, what, 10 miles?
3: <laughs>
5: but at the end of the session and, and we, we talked and, and uh, Preet and Mary C. And, and Charlie and we talked about it and, and uh, there was this great relief and it certainly allowed me the opportunity to let myself be healed. And and things have been very, very different ever since. Everything's been, Everything's been very, very different, because it's, it was this enormous release of just fear, and being able to let go of it, and, and with the substance's assistance in, in just opening that door and letting me let the fear out, um... And it's certainly changed our lives a lot. Um, and I, I wish that the, the rules weren't so strict, so that more people who find themselves in these situations could benefit from it. And um, and I think it was it's a really great benefit, and certainly a benefit to the families because this is not a disease that just strikes the person who gets the illness. I mean, it the entire family suffers for it. I mean. Norbert's lost as much sleep over it as I have, and certainly worried about it as much as I have. And, and he's graciously taken on, on the task of doing a lot of the research and the reading so that I wouldn't have to get depressed over it, but it certainly depresses him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, at least having me not be as afraid and, and say, well, let's not worry about what's going to happen. Let's make all these long plans. But, you know, let's plan a European trip six months from now. I'll, I'll be okay. You know, we can always fail if we have to, and and we've been able to do that. We've we've been able to make plans and move ahead and and have a really much better time of it. So for whatever it is and for whatever comes in the future, I can leave it in the future and and be here living today and live in joy and light and love and and just enjoy it. So I I can't even, it, it was just a very, very positive experience in general. And anything I could do to help you get more people, to help you to help you. I would like very much to have these studies succeed. And I know this is a phase one safety study, but I'd like to see it proceed to the point where, where we can unschedule these drugs and make them available for, for people to be treated for whatever kinds of conditions that they can help, because I think they really do. I think opening literally to quote the doors of perception is, is a
1: wonderful thing for anyone to be able to do. So. How, how did you know like what dosage to to use? Was it based on um, some of the previous experience in the 50s? I guess it's a question for. That's the oh. question for that.
4: Yeah. Well, no, the okay. dose was uh, it was after some negotiation with the FDA. Our original protocol had a significantly higher dose. Mm-hmm they responded with a significantly lower dose, and then we found okay. a middle ground where... Uh, okay. yeah, but uh, And I was, uh, you know, I, it were, because... do you turned, remember
1: based on some of the older studies in the yeah, 50s? Yeah,
4: yeah, there's a lot of data from the 50s and 60s on dosing with psilocybin. But, uh, you know, the subjects we've given the uh, psilocybin to so far uh, at the dose we're allowed to give have all had, you know, good responses. Not overwhelming, you know, but, but uh, you know, fairly deep, profound experiences. We encourage subjects to go deeply into, into the experience. We encourage them to lie down, put on the eye shades, put on the headphones. We have a nice CD player going and go deep. Every hour we check in with the blood pressure, see how they're doing. But we feel that a lot of the, uh, the healing occurs when people go, go, go deeply in, in, into that, uh, into that space.
5: Do people feel fear? I will tell you something. It's very disconcerting once an hour to take the eyeshades
1: off, walk up, and everybody is staring at you. (laughs) we are
5: all staring at you going, how are you doing?
1: We
4: were waiting a long time. Um, uh, The dose is 0.2 milligram per kilogram, and we, we would, uh, we, our sense is this is equivalent to uh, two to three grams of mushrooms. How,
1: how much is
4: of those? 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. For body weight. For body, body, body weight, right. Right. And how do you qualify for this? <laughs> well, you want uh, to be uh, you have to be ill, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. So, Dr.
1: Rook, are you hoping yeah, yeah. in the future to work at, um, like, a single overwhelming type of dose or a you know, smaller, smaller overwhelming no. What I'd
4: like to do is perhaps have yeah. the option to bump up the dose a bit, but what really would be important on subsequent studies would be to get permission to use, uh, to have follow-up sessions, Yeah. have repeat I would, sessions a month later, maybe another one a month down the line. We really feel that they could reinforce the, the power, the, the therapeutic potential. If uh, we 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 would have the opportunity to do follow-up uh, session you know, repeat sessions. Okay. But right now we're we're approved only for for one one session each subject. But do. Um, dietary drink.
1: Drink. No, no, no. Well, in the morning.
4: Well, just uh, no don't dairy. eat it in the morning. Of no course. dairy,
1: no caffeine, no. Yeah.
4: What's yeah. in the headphones? what's in the headphones
1: is, 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 is there any guidance so it's purely uh, there's no person interacting with the person that's taking the disc. you know
4: our feeling with psilocybin we're, we're there to talk I, I had one subject who yeah, had a lot of trouble lying down and putting you know and she just and I said yeah, look you know there'll be plenty of time later to chat now we're happy to you know, if something, an insight comes or a powerful vision comes, it's fine to take off the eye shades and the headphones, sit up and talk with us for a bit, but then we'll urge you to go, go back deeply into the experience. Now, a drug like MDMA that would be a different kind of experience altogether. That's... You would
1: you suggest more of a guiding situation for, well, for well, NDMA? Well, with
4: NDMA, I think, uh, there'd be more, uh, I think leeway to, to for people to sit up and start talking through what they were go, what they were the going through. Two well, people, but
1: not like a therapist and a, and a client.
4: Therapist. Well, there a therapist. is a therapist and a client. Yeah, mean, for
1: Indiana, you're saying it might be more for couples that you can't visit. No, no, no. no I'm saying you know,
4: if you would even if you would work with a similar population, the the the, the qualities of the drug are, 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 are quite different. Right. Charlie, I think you're getting a research
3: suggestion. Here. Yeah. No. No. no I'm just <laughs> yeah. Just what are the criteria? So how do you quantify, well, I had a wonderful experience. You okay, have we have a lot
4: of rating instruments. The primary uh, variable we're looking at is anxiety. So we have anxiety rating scales. Secondarily, we're also looking at, at mood. So we have uh, mood rating scales. We're looking at uh, quality. That's the
5: paperwork. Yeah. That's That's paperwork. Uh, every month. Every was like one week, two weeks six
4: weeks and then once a month and I'm still feeling about okay. <laughs> so, so primarily anxiety but then also we're looking at de- depression. We're looking at quality of life a, specific, a quality of life instrument that's specific for people with, with cancer. We're also looking for those who are having a lot of pain the level of pain their need for narcotic pain meds. That was one thing that really impressed me so much with Stan Groff's work and Eric Cass' work that they were getting people who had a lot of pain were Getting fairly dramatic alleviations of pain and significant reductions of need for narcotics.
3: Where could this go? If, if All the people say this is very positive, and all the criteria that you're measuring that is this going to prove for use in this? One no, year? well,
4: this is a pilot study, and from a pilot ready? study, we need there needs to be a larger study. So that's,
3: that's the it's heading,
4: well, that we hope that, it moves yeah. in that direction, where this will be a. It will be possible to legally uh, access this this treatment to for people who need treatment for you know for for whatever they're suffering from, and there are, we feel there are particular conditions which would be, I think, particularly interesting to to use this model treatment, and and, and mostly. Conditions that don't necessarily do well with uh, with conventional treatment. You know, first and foremost, uh, alcoholism, uh, drug addiction, serious obsessive compulsive disorder, serious uh, post traumatic stress disorder. What about yeah. personality
1: disorders like serious personality disorders?
4: Well, it, it's all open. It's, it, you know, once the door is open for legitimate research, the possibilities are, are truly endless in terms of what you could look at. And what side effects and the experience
3: that people go through? From well, people therapy.
4: who are in intensive chemo, we will, we'll, we'll take them during a, a time when they're off the chemo, the, a, when they're a little stronger. I'm saying compared to the chemo treatment, like how much crap people have to go through. Wow. Compared to this, this is like the royal road. Well, it's, uh, and you know, it's you. And, and again, it's it's the most ancient of treatment models. I think we also need to you know really acknowledge our predecessors, not only the people in the '50s and the '60s, but those going back over centuries, over millennia. You know, the indigenous cultures of the world that had intimate uh, you know knowledge of, of the the realm of effects of these plants and knew how to utilize that for uh, for purposes of healing. But I think, you know, it's like... I think in the 60s, sometimes people made the mistake of thinking this is the most modern treatment. And, but, you know, the, the ancients, you know the, the, those who worked with these compounds over God knows how long period of time, they, they knew how to use them. They knew what the safety parameters are. There's a tremendous degree to which we could learn from the so-called primitives. We're primitive compared to their, their level of knowledge. So in, in this situation maybe it could be said that you're treating situational anxiety and situational depression. Yeah, versus, this would be specific. Right. good Versus question. organic. Right, specifically we're looking, I mean, the criteria are for anxiety conditions or, or depression that, that, that has come in the wake of the, of the medical illness. So it's a reactive to the medical illness. So have, have people tried anything with people that have a, just an or, a more organic... Depression, well, that's, I mean that's to, not because of the situation well I mean, there was certainly a lot of work that went on in the 50s in the sixties where, where, where they looked at more you know guard variety uh, depression and again, you know many of these studies if they were properly run and had uh, you know qualified personnel who knew what they were doing got did get good results but of course the methodologies are relatively weak compared to what's acceptable today so these are all areas which need to be looked at. But I think, you know, strategically... Does your, does uh, your study exclude that, or can you include... No, no. If you've it, it, ex- uh, had very serious uh, psychiatric illnesses in the past, this particular study excludes, because we're focusing only on that, right. which comes in the wake of the medical... illness. Okay. thank you. And were there things that, that maybe um, your experience, or if you look back on your experience that you were able to anchor or things that you can go back to places you can go back to in your meditation. Definitely. You have a meditation process Definitely. To, to further further along this empowerment of taking the energy away from the anxiety
1: and putting it in towards directly fighting uh very much
5: to grow. I, I I think so. And I you know, it's it's one of those things that you can't explain. And I really do believe that, that your mind has some level of control over your body in that you can affect yourself in a positive way. and um, But you need to work on it a little.
1: Concerned, uh, or
3: I, I'm curious, did you incorporate any form of uh, ceremony into the experience? And Charlie, especially, because you've had more patients. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that
4: th- this is medicine that... Uh, Really comes out of the context of ritual. So I think it's important to include that to some degree. So we had, at the beginning of the session, we do a little meditation, a little ritual. Sure. um, Call in the spirits. spirits? I didn't write that in the protocol, but we did. (laughs) So please do. Please add that to the protocol
3: because it, it directly involves that. Whether people think can. it's hokiness or whatever, oh, the oh, will but, okay, will, okay uh, the one thing that, that they did is is, is yeah, Mary C brought this beautiful
5: arrangement of flowers. Yeah. And she said, This is for you to take home and, if, and and for you to take the energy with you. And it did. And and we had the flowers and of course we had one really fun moment because Right in the middle. It was. It was, it was. <laughs> Charlie bought Charlie the flowers and spilled water all over at the base.
3: <laughs>
5: so in the middle of this, we had a little moment of levity. and we had a good giggle over it. And it was, it, I thought it was wonderful. It was great.
1: spilling the water. the
5: going But, truly, after the session, we took the flowers home and we had it sitting on the table. And they were, they lasted like a whole week. So So it's sort of like every time I went by there, there was just this little lovely, like, you could go back there. There was this lovely energy from it.
1: One of the other things that Mary C was the one who was really responsible for setting that all up, she also made certain that the entire hospital room it was totally decorated, the walls were decorated, oh, oh, decorated oh, right. the just had, beautiful. that hangings yeah. were placed over the entire place, right. plus the flowers. When you walk into the place you did not think it was a hospital room. It was a very And there was one other thing too, <laughs>
4: was also the three people involved in it, it was Mary C, Charlie, and Crete over here, and the positive energy that each one of these people gave Pam during it this was not a clinical session. This was not totally detached. This was a positive feeling that these people were here to help you feel better and to deal with something. And uh, I think that's really important also when you go into something like this. We talk about the ritual. We talk about the setting. Well, this is exactly what they also did in this clinical research setting is they reduced some of that clinical aspect so I I wasn't I, I
5: troubled, troubled by the vibes in the hospital. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs>
4: yeah. got Charlie, a second question. Um, I gather this, this whole thing is being reported for podcast? Uh, you know, I'll edit out anything you don't want to so, No, I just... I just are, you, are you going to run into either IRB problems or problems from the journals about pre-publication? I mean, if I put this on my blog, is that a problem? Sure. Okay, just uh, well, run it by me first, so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay All right.
1: just be safe. Yeah. I had a question on the ayahuasca which um, it seems to be more of the substance of medicine you can turn to 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 heal like the work I've been doing for several months now, just for blood cleansing lung healing and i would never i would never occur to me to turn to lSD for healing like like physical healing that i I'm getting from the ayahuasca and I wonder if you know a little bit about that uh, that's something that Could there be separate studies on the healing properties of
4: doing things? Have there been? Well, there have been been very minimal studies. Only what was done in the 60s, and at that point, ayahuasca was really not being studied at all. It was hardly even known. But you know, LSD—it's a very potent synthetic uh, compound. Um, You know, they. in terms of psychiatric studies, they they got you know some very positive results. In terms of uh, physical healing, it never really was utilized primarily directly as an agent for physical healing. But although you would hear anecdotal accounts, you would hear those from other comp- other compounds as well. You know, my gut sense is that once we're allowed to fully investigate the potentials of ayahuasca, that, that Very likely, you know, its healing capacity, I think, would be, you know, very
1: impressive. You can actually feel it actually working on different parts of your body.
4: Like, you know, there
1: will be times where you don't have any of the mental Mm -hmm. activation or trips or acknowledgments, but you feel it working in areas. Right, right. And so it's...
4: No, I think that's great. I see it actually as a a medicine. And there's certainly a great deal of um, healing in... uh, the Amazon Basin where you know, Mestizo Healing in particular where ayahuasca is the, is the agent administered. Now interestingly sometimes the ayahuascaro takes it and the patient doesn't take it. Sometimes the <laughs> patient, patient takes it and the ayahuascaro doesn't. But but there you know, Mar, my colleague uh, the anthropologist Marlene De Rios who I co-edited the that journal Psychoactive Drugs Issue about ayahuasca she's done a lot of work down in the Amazon Basin looking at the uh, uh, ayahuasca healing among the Mastuto population. And she's got books out about this they are accessible.
5: Uh, what's it going to take to, like, you were doing a private, it's still scheduled, right? But then you were able to do your pilot. Right. Well, the definition
1: of the schedule is that
5: it has no medical. Well benefits, but it.
4: it's it's possible and we've demonstrated, if nothing else, we've demonstrated feasibility that it's possible to do uh, legitimate, uh sanctioned, above board, high quality research with Schedule One drugs. You just gotta go through you gotta have your credentials in order, you gotta go through a the very laborious procedure. It takes years, but it's possible. What would it take to get unscheduled unscheduled, <laughs> a, lot more, a lot more research and an evolution of our current political system. That Rick Funds in South Carolina, Michael said it started off as an indication only for PTSD from personal assault. This has now been expanded to include uh, other kinds of traumas, including war trauma, and I believe they got a referral of a... Uh, of a policeman from 9 uh, who was traumatized from that experience.
3: Well, the, the, the interesting
4: issue, of, I mean, there, you're right, because the pharmaceutical industry in the last few decades has, has wielded enormous power and control within all of medicine. The, um, the interesting issue about psychedelics is, uh, let's say you develop a compound which might be administered on only one occasion, and be effective or a handful of occasions within the context of an ongoing psychotherapy. Where's the profit margin for a drug company? They're not going to clean up like they would for drugs which you prescribe for people to take on an everyday basis for weeks, for months, for years. In fact, if this works, it yeah. could be a threat. So the drug companies are not beating down the doors.
1: Well, okay, at least the doctors. There's some great ones out there possibly. You never know. Might say, yes, yes, let's band well, together. Let's band together well, and, well, and, and, well, and just uh, say that we're going to relieve the suffering of all of our parents. And everybody you know, everybody now knows
3: It doesn't always really
4: come everybody back.
1: Everybody will go for it. If you just get it in the right, like, yes.
4: There's, there's always hope. And if you know any of those people. I think Rick likes to call his his vision that the, the people's pharmaceutical company. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing. Uh, I don't know why you chose so on LSD. Oh, good question. Yeah, that's uh, uh, LSD. There, mo- there's, uh, We have a lot more data on LSD from the 60s, for sure. But, uh, but there are a few reasons. One is um, shorter duration, it's four to six hours compared to eight to 12 hours. Um, we felt it was more easily controlled. Uh we felt it was it would be we felt on an intuitive level be more appropriate for this popu- this patient population, but also most importantly, psilocybin does not carry the political baggage that LSD does. And I don't think we would have gotten a first base submitting an LSD protocol to the regulatory agencies. You know, psilocybin—it's an exotic name; it's a, it's a bit under the radar. You know, people kind of know what it is, but still, it—it uh, it doesn't have that knee-jerk response. Uh, oh, we've been through that before. We're not going to go down that. Yeah, road. I mean, they both work in a serotonergic system. Uh, psilocybin is—it's a psilocybin is uh, structurally more uh, quite. Much more similar to serotonin. Uh, LSD, though, the, the strange thing about LSD is its potency. There's no other drug that's potent on such a small dosage, on a microgram level, which is astounding. You know, so if you look at evolution, I mean, why is it that our central nervous systems are so primed to be receptive to these compounds? Uh, yes.
1: Obtaining the in the term of the study was course, at all, that LSD would have to be manufactured and psilocybin occurs uh, this,
4: is, this, is, this is purely synthetic the FDA would insist that it must be a, so it's made by a company in Massachusetts that has a license with the government to make schedule 1 drugs for research purposes it comes as a powder it's kept in the most secure safe I have ever seen in our research pharmacy, they had to buy a safe and then bolt it into the floor to meet this DEA specification. <laughs> so I've got this enormous safe you got to go through, you know, several padlocks locks to get in there. You open it up, there's this big space with one little bottle. <laughs> and the, uh, the pharmacist weighs it out, uh, you know, on a, it's a milligram per kilogram basis. So we give the weight, and then uh, the morning of this session, tomorrow morning when we treat Uh, The the woman we met today, the pharmacist will come up at 9 o'clock with a capsule. It it may be a placebo. It it may be 0.2 milligrams per Sounds like a
1: reality show. (laughs)
4: <laughs> <No. What's behind> <laughs> the <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Thing like yeah, yeah. everybody gets one of these, yeah. so you kind of know what will be. What do <coughs> you
5: think
1: about the um, the designer analogs? That there's been a couple court cases recently because there were supposedly some deaths related to the designer chemistry analogs. What do you know about the toxic the toxicity?
4: I'm not, I'm aware. Of, uh, I don't know uh, if we're aware of the same case, but I'm aware of a very recent, very sad, very sad case. Um, you know, there's, a, uh, there's a lot we don't know, and it's really a shame because uh, you know uh, young people in particular are very adventurous. They want to experiment. They want to push the envelope. But sometimes they may be pushing it with compounds uh, about which we know very very little because they haven't been subjected to rigorous examination. So uh, the kids kind of sometimes go in blind with uh, you know insufficient so- data. It's really sad. I mean, unfortunately, we, it should be that the data should be there, safe you know, safe access should be f- safe, monitored, medical you know, monitored if necessary. Perhaps people should be screened. You know, people with underlying, um, you know, medical problems, some people have underlying cardiovascular problems aren't even aware of it. We read in a paper about athletes, kids in high school and college, just dropping dead, on the athletic field then they do an autopsy and they realize they had a uh you know uh, cardiac conduction system you I think there's like two
1: or three I do I,
4: I consulted on a couple of forensic cases of young women who died from MDMA and, uh, and, but I have known two cases where young women had uh, they had Cardiovascular problems they were not aware of because it had never manifested. They hadn't had any, they'd never had a, an EKG. Right. No one knew. Same thing, you get the same problem with high school, college athletes. Say, like, no one knew. It's, no, it's but even birth control adds to the, the problem.
3: Like uh, if you consider that you might have one of these heart defects and you're on birth control and then somebody gives you an MDMA, then you might really have a problem based on your, your previous
4: condition. Right. Well, okay. Well, that's a whole. My first protocol to treat cancer was with MDMA. I ended up switching to psilocybin for two reasons. One was in the late 90s, ecstasy had become so sensationalized. uh, Mm. At that point, the regulatory agencies, you know, backed off, and I don't blame them. It was too things were too wild, I think, in the press. And uh, and also, to be honest, I felt psilocybin with this. Patient population would be safer, yeah. easier for the body to handle, and uh, perhaps even better for the for the psychological therapy we are hoping to administer. So I, I, you know, I was not at all adverse at that point to shifting my protocol from NDMA to psilocybin. No, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: no a serious problem with uh, with psychedelics across the board is if you pay insufficient attention to the set. And the setting, things can get out of hand. And there's no lack of examples. There's, uh, you know, we've collected several case histories of, of young college students who committed suicide in the last couple of years on psychedelics in, 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 in the East Coast. And in each and every case, there was insufficient attention to the mental set of the person going in and the level of support that the environmental setting had comp- compatibility it's, or even afterwards
3: even two or three days afterwards you have
4: a central well again it depends how you, I mean there, there are a lot of variables involved
3: maybe I ate too much but I
4: mean, well, maybe. I mean, in moderation is another ratio we've got this mental setting in this country that sometimes if, yeah. if a little is really good Maybe a lot more would be a whole lot better. But, you know, there are safety with those.
2: You know, with MDMA, you
4: got this you know, this whole sense of, uh, well, you know, the young people get it. They want to, you know, you develop some tolerance, number one, but the young people keep wanting to push the envelope. You have this macho ingestion syndrome that's been described where people stack five doses out of shot and pop them. They're clearly... They're clearly pushing that envelope on the safety parameters beyond which is, is, is wiser or, or prudent, and, and, and which is quite at odds with, let's say, the early investigators of phenethylamines, like Myron would have perceived its use. In, in the 60s, there was a lot of excitement in psychiatry that these compounds had extraordinary potentials for healing and that, and that they could be part of a therapeutic armamentarium. But at the same time, the counterculture was revving up And there was a need, I I believe, to to squash this research. A very, a, a major study occurred at the University of Wisconsin led by a guy named Ludwig who demonstrated that LSD was not an effective treatment for alcoholism. He got the most prestigious awards you can get in, in, in psychiatric research. But looking back, if you look at his methodology, they completely ignored the, the set, setting issues. There was no preparation. they give the drug to the patient and tell him, you know, you just sit in this room and we'll we'll check on you every now and again. <laughs> yeah, there was another study where patients were actually um they were handcuffed to the day while they were they were given the So what are the results going to be? <laughs>
1: <Well>, Torches.
4: <therapy. laughs> There were some incredibly unethical things that went on in the 50s that, that do resemble right. torture. In fact, military yeah. intelligence yeah, dove yeah, into yeah. this as well yeah. with the MK Ultra project, oh, yes, where right. they were surreptitiously spiking people's drinks with high dose uh, psychedelics and watching them flip out. They yeah. soldiers they thought had given secrets to the to the Russians they would bring in for interrogation, dose them, drive them crazy, where they were residually crazy for years. They had a uh, one of their own intelligence operatives, they were concerned was going to spill the beans on something. They dosed him and the next thing you know he was flying out of a hotel window in New York. Horrible things happened. The, the, the prostitutes, they would have pro- they would hire prostitutes to give clients uh, a drink, spike with a with drug and then they would film it through a uh, you know, one-way mirror. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous stuff. So, anyway, I think or probably.
2: Right. Why don't we wrap
4: this up and let right. Myron uh, autograph a few books so that right. uh, you can
2: maybe okay. answer some questions Sure.
1: For the, uh, Everybody, no reason to leave Hang out um, Enjoy yourselves yeah. and, and you.
0: Well, that should give you some idea of what an evening at Kathleen's Salon is like and It's definitely not for the closed-minded I'll tell you that I hope you paid some close attention to Dr. Grobe's words words about safety uh, toward the end of his talk. You know, we aren't looking for any more heroes in the war on drugs. What we really need is a lot of well-informed, safety-conscious survivors who can grow into the role of our new elders. You know, and if you if you think that you might have such a calling, then get serious about your work and learn everything you can about these extremely powerful substances before you take any unnecessary chances. You know, always remember, the first step of any intelligent journey is to become as well-informed as possible. So always begin at arrowid.org. E-R-O-W-I-D.org. That's one website that I'm willing to stand behind 100%. In addition to my own, of course. <laughs> Don't forget, uh, we're at matrixmasters.com. And if you're looking just for the audio sections of our uh, website, they're uh, at palenkenorte.org, uh, all of which can be reached through the homepage at Matrix Masters. And we'd be happy to have you join our mailing list, although it's uh, not real active. We send something out once in a while when something strikes our fancy. But also at the Palenkenorte uh, site, uh, you'll see links to our podcast and there you can find uh, more information about Dr. Grobe and the other speakers we've had here in the Psychedelic Salon. And before I go tonight, I want to thank our friends at Chateau Hayuk for their music again, and especially to Charlie and Pam, Norbert and Myron, and for all their words of wisdom, and special thank you to Kathleen. You know, without you, Kathleen, uh, these magical evenings just wouldn't happen, and Also, I want to give my thanks to all of you for joining us here in the Psychedelic Salon. For now, this is Lorenzo, signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.